All right, welcome to another edition of the Cup Pro Wrestling Podcast. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Emerito Rivera. My name is Randy Zillia. And with us today, the Emmy Award winning. It feels so cool to say that when I get to introduce an Emmy Award winner on our show. Chris VanVleet, thanks so much for coming out with us today, man. Oh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, it's, it's, it's weird for me to be an Emmy Award winner as well. But uh, <laughs> I will embrace this and... I will ask people to introduce me like this for the rest of my life. I think what you should do is have me record it a couple different times and take the best one and make it your phone ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think that's, that's, that's actually how I answer the phone. When someone calls, I'm like, hello, this is four-time Emmy Award winner, Chris Van Vliet. <laughs> yeah. and, and they say, oh, I'm sorry. We were, we were, we were calling Whataburger down the street. Boom. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong number. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Chris, like, it's, it's cool to have you on with us because when we did some research on you, it's more than just wrestling. Obviously, we got some Emmy Awards over there uh, and you have quite an extensive history in broadcasting. And I, I got to know when you started, when you had the passion for this growing up, when did it start? And if you can go into just tell us a little bit of the backstory a little bit. Yeah, that, that's my real passion. That's, you know, I think a lot of people know me for the wrestling interviews that I've done, but broadcasting is my, my main passion and it was my first love. So I was four years old. I had a Fisher Price tape recorder as in the eighties, tapes, the cassette tapes. I got and them too. I, I got them too. <laughs> and we were just talking about that. <laughs> and I would pretend to be the radio host that I heard on the radio. And that was really where this began. And I'm sure my mom still has these cassette tapes somewhere, but that was where, where it really all began for me. And uh, as I got into high school, we had a communication studies class and we went out and we had like a news broadcast. We, you know, we played all these different roles in the studio. Sometimes you were on camera. Sometimes you were the cameraman, VTR, audio, all of it. And I got to, you know, to really understand how all of this worked. So when it came time to pick a college major, I'm like, well, that communication studies class was fun. Like you get to be on TV. <laughs> so I'll go take that. Little did I know that when you're in college, you don't actually like get to be on TV every single day. You're learning like the theories of this. So that's where it began for me. But it really, I kind of like hit a crossroads. I had this epiphany in my senior year of college. So I was loving college, you know, living with four of my best friends. What do you do when you're in college? You drink lots of beer, you eat lots of pizza. I was having the best time, right? And you go to class on occasion too. Yeah. Um, and I, I was having the best time, but it just hit me one, one day I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, like when we graduate at the end of this year, that's it. Like, there's no more, do I feel like going to class? There's no more like, you know, drinking as, as many beers as I feel like. It's like, you got to go work for the rest of your life. Unless you're Van Wilder, by the way. Unless you're Van Wilder, you can just keep going back for those victory laughs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But I, so I was like, I need to at least find a job that I don't hate. That was the bare minimum. I didn't want to be that person who couldn't, you know, appreciate Sunday because they knew Monday was right around the corner. And I, in that moment, I reached out to every radio station, every TV station in my college town and said, look, I am passionate about broadcasting. I'm a communication studies major. I want to come in and just see how it's done in the real world. And one radio station got back to me and said, yeah, come be on our street team, hand out like stickers at events. Another TV station was actually run by volunteers. It was a community run station. And they said, come on in, volunteer and be part of the crew. As many days as you want, as few days as you want. And then one radio station said, well, we don't take on volunteers, but how would you like a job? No. <laughs> okay. And that's where really where it began. They said, it's only going to pay $8 an hour. I'm like, that's $8 more than I thought I was going to make. 
And I started as a board operator for an AM news radio station in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. And that's kind of where the whole thing began. That's where it snowballed. That's it. That's Yeah, that's, and that's, and you know what the funny thing is, I've done a lot of these interviews with radio and TV personalities and everybody has their own story. It's never the same story. Everyone has a different path. Where did you get some of the ideas? And, and also, how did you get, I saw the MTV2 uh, opportunity. How did you get to that point? To like, yeah. your, like MTV? So I was really stacking my resume in that final year of college, hoping that when I graduated, I could at least try to get an internship. And I sent out all these resumes for an internship, didn't hear back from anybody. And so I was like, I got, I got to do something because I'm not just, I'm not going to get a job without an internship. So I did a little Googling and I found out the name of the general manager at this small TV station that was about an hour away from my parents' hometown, my hometown. And I emailed him and made up a total lie. I said, I'm going to be in town next week for spring break. I'd love to come in, tour the station and talk to you about an internship. I hadn't been to this town in like 10 years. <laughs> so I was just like kind of rolling the dice and taking a chance. And he wrote me back and said, yeah, you know, we don't usually take on interns that aren't like getting a college credit for it, but yeah, come on in. Your resume is impressive. Come on in. So I went in and he said, sure, don't normally do this, but I'm going to bring you on as an intern. You know, you start as soon as you graduate. And I, the internship was amazing because when you're at a small station, you know, you wear a lot of hats at a yeah. small TV station. And the reporters there were also camera operators, editors, producers, you know, the one man band, a multimedia journalist, they call it. Two weeks into my internship, I was on TV as an intern, as a reporter. And that's how the rest of my internship ended up going. So I, I was there and it was great, but I didn't, you know, I was 22 years old and didn't really want to be a news reporter for the rest of my life. And there was an open casting call for what was called Much Music. It's Much Music in Canada. It's kind of like the Canadian version of Fuse or MTV. They had an open casting call. I show up to this thing. So I take the train in from my hometown Pickering into Toronto. And I'm sitting in this casting call. And there's like 300 people in line to just kind of like have a word with a producer. And I'm sitting there filling out this like resume thing. And this giant security guard comes over to me. He's like, hey, you come with me. And I'm like, Oh, what, what did I do? What happened? And he's like, no, 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 it's, it's good. It's, it's a good thing. They want to see the people that they're interested in first. I'm like, oh, wow. So I went in and they said, you know, we want to bring you in for an audition. We want to bring you in for a callback. So I had a handful of auditions with them. I didn't end up getting that job, but it really instilled in me the confidence that I was what they were looking for. So six months later, when they had this job opening for MTV2 Canada, which was in the same family, I put everything I possibly could into that job, used the whole lie thing again. This job was based in Vancouver, which is the other side of the country from where I was living. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm going to be in Vancouver next Thursday. Yeah, I should, I should talk to you about the job. And they're like, well, if you're going to be here, sure. And that's how I ended up getting that job. Wow. wow. See, that's awesome, dude. Like, <laughs> I've never had any experience like that. Like, I, I normally go to jobs and they're like, yeah, we don't want you. Get out of here. Like, <laughs> The funny thing was, that was my entire life up to that point. I was never the guy who got the job because of my uncle or my neighbor. I was never the guy. I was always the guy who was one of the resumes in the stack of resumes. And all I was trying to do was make myself stand out from everybody else. 
And listen, you have, and, and, and a lot of guys out there doing exactly what you're doing, and you are where you're standing with your championship belt, Emmys. It's amazing. <laughs> he put that in the same sentence, by the way, to see what he did. Yeah, yeah, your championship yeah. belt and your Emmy Awards, you know? I mean, you're there. I mean, you got some Emmys, but you got a championship <laughs> belt. Uh, it, it was funny, too. Wasn't it Paul Heyman who, uh, when he tells that great story, I, I, I'm sure you've met Paul, um, and he tells that great story about when he was working at Studio 54 and they fired the the, uh, the camera guy and the PR guy. And the owner says, can you do that? And he's never done it before. He goes, of course I can. I've yeah, been okay. doing it my whole life. So that sounds like something like you. Can you do this? Of course I can. I've been doing this my whole life. Um, I want to... Fast forward because I and I know this is probably a very uh, unflattering to hear a dude say it to you, but when I was doing the research, apparently they named you one of the most eligible bachelors too. In the, can you talk about like being, you know, like that, you know, being, pre, pre, you know, uh, presented that way? I probably wasn't. You didn't mind it too much, but yeah. So we're fast forwarding now. This was 2011. I was living in Cleveland at the time, and I was the entertainment reporter for the CBS affiliate there, and. Like six weeks into my job, you know, I'm still like learning the ropes. I'm still trying to figure this all out. The uh, the promotions department, the head of the promotions department goes, Inside Edition's coming to town and they're doing like the Cleveland's most eligible bachelor thing. So you're going to be part of this. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, yeah, the, the shoot's on Thursday. And it was like a Tuesday. Like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're going to be like walking around the city with your shirt off. I'm like, What? <laughs> and I, like, I just moved to Cleveland six weeks before. I was enjoying all of the amazing food and beer that Cleveland had to offer. I was not in <laughs> any sort of shape to be taking my shirt off. So sure enough, I go to this thing. We make a whole TV segment about it. It's on Inside Edition. Then they, they were like, oh, vote for Cleveland's most eligible bachelor. I ended up coming second in that one, which was just so wild to me. I just moved to America. And now I'm one of the most eligible bachelors in this city. About... Uh, a, a year later, Cosmopolitan Magazine does their Bachelor of the Year thing every single year. And I guess because I had done that Cleveland thing, one of my coworkers nominated me without me knowing. And I got a random phone call from Cosmopolitan Magazine. They're like, hey, did you know so-and-so nominated you to be the uh, most eligible Bachelor of the Year? I was not aware of this, no, but continue and <laughs> basically this the way it works is they pick one guy from each state so there's 50 bachelors that are the most eligible bachelors in america according to cosmopolitan magazine and then you do you do a whole shirtless photo shoot on the beach and there's a big spread in the magazine and then they pick one person of all the bachelors that is the cosmopolitan bachelor of the year and i was chosen for that i won ten thousand dollars which I donated the entire thing to the Boys and Girls Club of Cleveland, which That's is a awesome. charity that we worked with a ton when I was living in Cleveland. So it was win-win for everybody. Uh, although I'd like to say that, you know, as soon as I was named Most Eligible Bachelor, I just had like a bevy of, you know, dates to go on, but that did not happen at all. <laughs> just kind of like, oh, cool, I'm in this magazine. And I donated this money, which is great, but all right, on with the rest of my life. <laughs> and now you're doing a podcast with us. And yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. Exactly. How the mighty have fallen, right? <laughs> um, how how were you able to incorporate your passion for pro wrestling into broadcasting? This this to me is, is an amazing thing because a, a lot of the media world sort of still shun their, their nose down at professional wrestling. And I, I wanted to get your take of someone who has Emmy Awards and has a lot of prestige of, of your work and how are you able to take some of the criticism for the amount of work that you put into pro wrestling? 
Well, so this dates back to when I got that job at MTV2 Canada. You know, we were interviewing, I'm basically an entertainment reporter and entertainment host at that time. So we're interviewing actors and we're interviewing comedians and musicians. So I saw that WWE was coming to town and I asked my boss, I said, could we interview a WWE wrestler? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we do that all the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get paid for hanging out with a wrestler. This is amazing. So it started off just kind of selfishly. Like I just wanted to hang out with wrestlers and every job I went to from that job on, I just, be, they knew I was passionate about wrestling. And, and you know, when you're a wrestling fan, you're not quiet about being a wrestling fan. So everybody knew that I was a wrestling fan. So whether that was Vancouver, then Toronto, then Cleveland and Miami, every time I went to a new TV show, I just let it be known that I was a wrestling fan. And if wrestling was ever in town, I would be the person that would be handling those interviews. And, and let's be honest, those interviews might not have been happening at that TV station if it wasn't for me kind of pushing for those to happen. And I get it. I get that wrestling has a certain stigma about it. I get that wrestling's not for everybody, but the people that it is for, I mean, you're, mega, you're a mega fan. When you are a wrestling fan, you're all the way in on being a wrestling fan. So I just peppered it into the broadcast and my YouTube channel kind of was birthed out of that completely by accident. I was getting access to these wrestlers two, three, four times a year, whenever, you know, Raw, SmackDown, Ring of Honor, Impact would come to town, we'd do these interviews. We'd air a little bit of it on TV. And then I'd have like, you know, five, 10, 20 minutes of me just nerding out with them and asking fan questions. And I'm like, well, someone, has, someone else has to see this. Like this can't just be a conversation that me and them had. And then, you know, it gets left on the cutting room floor. So I just started uploading it to my YouTube channel just so it would have a home, just so it would have somewhere to live. And if a handful of other fans appreciated it, amazing. And that's where my YouTube channel really started was, was me just kind of having a place for these to live. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you, you, you did train as a pro wrestler at, at one point, right? Did that help you like uh, engage them a little better? I, I, so I didn't complete my training. I did. I, did, I started going, going to training when I was in college. Then I had to make the decision like school, school or wrestling school because I'm a firm believer that you got to go all the way in yeah. on whatever it is that you're doing. But yeah, I think it, it certainly helped to give a better appreciation of it. And I always find it so wild that there's people out there that think they know so much about wrestling and they've never even taken a bump before. Exactly. And, and That's I'm not me. That, That's there me. You go. <laughs> Let me tell you, it hurts. Oh yeah, I it know. hurts. And I'm not saying that everybody that talks about wrestling or watches wrestling needs to go out and take bumps. But you know, if you're if you're watching basketball, you probably at least shot some hoops. You know, if you're playing baseball, you and your dad have probably played catch at some point in time. Wrestling's this weird other thing. So yeah, to answer your question, there it definitely gave me an appreciation for a little bit of the psychology, but more importantly, the physicality of it. And like, I remember specifically, I told Jeff Hardy that I had trained. And as the interview was coming to an end, this is 2011, he goes, well, let's lock it up. And I thought he meant like, let's like wrap up the interview. Like, let's lock this thing up. And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, man. Like, thanks for coming in. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, let's lock up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So we locked up and then like, I put him in a headlock and I'm like, this is... And I did the same thing with Christopher Daniels. Like it was just so cool to be able to kind of speak that same language as them. Exactly. Yeah. I, I thought that that would give you a, an insight because like I, a, 
like you said, so many people, they have so many opinions on pro wrestling, but they have never taken a bump. They've never actually thrown themselves out of the ring or, or into the turnbuckles. So it's interesting. You like, you sit there and you talk to wrestlers. They, like you said, you speak the same language. You, you know how it's body language. Sometimes you put them in a headlock, you, you know, when to reverse things like that. But, so, but I would equate it to like, yeah, I'm speaking the same language as them, but like I'm speaking like high school Spanish yeah. and they're like fluent. That's, you know, that's what it feels like. But it gives you an in and that, and that's a unique. bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who are, who are some of your favorites growing up? Growing up, the rock was number one for me. I, I just, I was so, I was just so blown away by his charisma and how he could turn anything into an amazing promo. But in terms of in-ring wrestling prowess, huge fan of Kurt Angle, massive fan of everything that Kurt Angle did. I was a big ECW fan and I, I loved what Kid Cash did. I was, and I, that's, I know that's a really random choice, but I thought that what Kid Cash did and how he could hit the Hurricane Rana from anywhere, I, that was just, I, that blew me away. And I was always just so impressed by people who could do stuff that I couldn't do. So like the first, the cruiserweight hour of Nitro was just like, how is this even possible? Yeah. Like, Ray Mysterio and Everageous and Shane Helms was like, well, I, I remember I would tape it on VHS <laughs> and I would rewind it and I would play it frame by frame by frame by frame. I'm like, oh, that's how a head scissors works. Wow, <laughs> it happened so quickly. And like, that was the stuff that really blew me away. It's funny because you, you speak of, that is what every fan used to do back in the day. We'd record it and we'd watch it frame by frame and see. And I would, I would sit there in my room and try to hurricane Rana and like almost break my <laughs> neck every single time. I think I broke more things in my room trying that damn move. But it's true. That's exactly how it was back in the yeah. 80s and 90s. So you sit there and you watch frame by frame. And yeah. it's amazing to hear you say that. Well, it's funny for someone like me, I'm not the heaviest person in the world, but I also know, you know, I joke around with uh, M saying I should be an agent, not an athlete type of uh, mentality. <laughs> so like, I, I don't leave the floor, but maybe like maybe five inches. So I'd be like, okay, I used to have like a wrestling buddy growing up and I used to like jump around with it. And then I think that was, after I fell off the bed one time, broke my arm, I said, I think we're done with the wrestling thing. Oh, so, <laughs> so, yeah. I, so I was a backyard wrestler in high school. Uh, we had we had actually a pretty popular backyard wrestling federation called the HCW. I was the two-time HCW champion, Chris Sharp, and we, we thought we were pretty good. Like we were we were athletic, and we thought we were pretty good. And then I remember someone who had actually trained looking at some of our videos, and they're like, "Yeah, you're doing everything on the wrong side." I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? "Wrong side? What do you mean?" Like you're working the right side. DTs, they're all done on the left side. Yeah. Oh, but I'm right-handed. Like doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm like, oh, we've been doing this wrong for years. Like, yeah, you, you've been doing everything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because it's the same thing. I, I grew up in New York and I would see these guys. I, I trained a little bit back in uh, 98 and 99 and everything was on the left side and you see everybody working the right. And I'm like, this isn't Mexico, man. Like you got to do it on the left. Yeah. Like that, they, and that's a big adjustment because in all sports, you just go to your dominant side, your dominant hand. Mm -hmm. And in wrestling, it's like, no, no, no. This, this is just the universal way that things are done. Exactly. It's like you fall, you, you twist to the left. You and know, there's, there's going to be right people now. that are, there's going to be people that are listening to this right now going, like, what I heck? never knew that. And they're going to watch <laughs> wrestling this week and go, huh, 
it is all on the left side. Yeah. I, I'm that guy that goes to like uh, all these events with my friends. I'm like, look, 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 he's going to grab his left hand, you know, like watch it's all in the left. And they're like, I've never noticed that. Yeah. 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 I'm like I'm spoiling it for you. <laughs> no, but hopefully I make bigger fans. I'm always like promoting pro wrestling. <laughs> uh, who are your, some of your favorite interviews that you've done in the wrestling wrestling world? In the wrestling world, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I've been very fortunate and grateful to be able to share conversations with people from like every different company. But since Rock, you know, was my favorite wrestler in the 90s, interviewing The Rock is something really special. So he's number one on the list. He's, he had been number one. It was an interview I wanted to get for many years, ever since I became an entertainment reporter. But The Rock's everything you want him to be. Like, they always say you shouldn't meet your heroes. <laughs> Your hero is The Rock. Like, yes, 100% meet your hero. He's awesome. <laughs> he's, he's funny and he's charismatic and he's charming. And I remember the first time I met him, I was, was actually backstage at Raw, which was crazy. He was preparing for his match with Cena at WrestleMania. And he came in, there was maybe 12, 15 people in the room, walked in, hello, hello, said, said hello to everyone. Then he went and shook everybody's hand before we actually got to work. And Rock is aware enough, self-aware enough to know that he's the biggest star in the world. And he makes the moment special for you. Instead of just, you know, shining all the light on him, he turns the moment around and makes the moment special for you. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting thing and a rare trait you see in any human, let alone someone who's as big as he is. It's interesting to know. Like I, I would always thought I'm a star, you know, it's like, shine the light on me, but I never knew that about The Rock. Next, next time you watch a, a, a good Rock interview, or if you ever do, you'll notice he'll be like, that's a great question, which is like the ultimate compliment to hear when you're an interviewer. <laughs> and he, he throws it out like, you know, very, very frequently. And it's like, wow, it, it's just, it's, he's great. And I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> We saw that you also spoke with John Cena. I, I know that John is now following the same path as Dwayne did. Um, how is it like John is, they said he's very humble, very um, personable and almost, it's almost like the rock where he tries to make the special. The interview yeah, the, so Cena is, I, I, he's more like a cerebral interview. Like the rock's gonna, the rock has charisma through the roof, right? I've interviewed John three times and he's been, so incredibly kind, but more importantly, really generous with his time. And the one that really stands out in my mind is I interviewed him last year at WrestleMania. It was the only interview he did at WrestleMania. And it was set up through a mutual friend of ours. And I met him at the gym he was working out in, in Manhattan. And he's like, I've got 10 minutes. Okay, absolutely. We can totally work with 10 minutes for sure. So I show up at the gym and I message him. And I said, "Where well, I'm here. And he writes me back, he goes, I'm looking for you and I'm not trying to be funny, but I can't see you. <laughs> Eventually we connected, we did the interview. Like he basically walked up and boom, we started the interview. And I knew we had 10 minutes. So right at the 10 minute mark, I go to wrap him up. And he reaches in his pocket and grabs his phone, looks at the time and goes, no, we got some more time. Okay. <laughs> I, I saw, How much more time? He's like, just keep talking. I'll let you know when we're done. Okay. So we keep going for like another five minutes and I go to, I'm like, I just want to be super respectful of your time. Like, thank you. He goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, oh, we still got some more time. <laughs> what? So it was in those moments that I was like, he gets it. You know, he totally gets it. And the interesting thing about this whole conversation of you saying that he's following in the rock's footsteps 
it's interesting that in order to get that real mainstream fame that Rock, Cena, and now Batista have, you have to like leave wrestling in the rearview mirror. And it's a really interesting conversation that like you can only be so famous in wrestling before you break out and then you like reach this whole new level of fame. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of thinking. I've like personally I've never thought of that, but you're right. Like Rock, he left wrestling completely. And as a fan, I was mad, you know, it's like he left yeah. us. But it's true. If he would have stayed in wrestling, he never would have reached the heights that that he did. So that's yeah, and a, it's, interesting. And it's not just it's not just leave wrestling part time, like leave wrestling for good. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, they've all done that. Every, yeah. you know, those three that have become mega famous when wrestling was a thing I did. Yeah, but now I'm doing this other thing. Yeah. So there's another thing you're doing that I, I want to ask about, and that's um, you, you're doing announcing for a video game. Yeah, I'm so excited about yeah. that. <laughs> I saw that. Oh. And now, now you're in my realm. Like I'm, I'm a video game guy. So <laughs> yeah, Virtual Basement is the name of the company, and they've created yeah. this game called The Wrestling Code. And I, I mean, I played every wrestling video game growing up. Yep. I can't tell you how honored I am that they asked me to be part of this and be the voice of the game. Like this is so, so cool. So they just released some of the like uh, early renderings of what my character is gonna look like. And I'm like, that's, this is amazing. I'm in a video <laughs> game and it's me and oh, this is crazy. So yeah, there's so we, many people. The, the, the lineup of this game is crazy. And we could go through the whole lineup, but we'd be here all day. But like exactly. some of the big names are Rob Van Dam and Ken Shamrock and just all kinds of huge stars, Evan Bourne or Matt Seidel, a lot of big, big names, Brian Cage. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can't wait to, I can't wait to play this game. I hope they make me as a playable character too. Yeah, like a secret <laughs> character, A, B, A, C, A, B, B. So, yeah. I'll be like, you don't even have to pay me, just make me a character. <laughs> but but the check doesn't hurt either, by the way. Right, right. If you, if you feel like uh, Other question I had to ask you, I know you um, were getting involved with AEW. Um, as a wrestling fan, AEW, Ring of Honor, MLW, uh, really uh, uh, New Japan, I can't leave out New Japan for my, my friend. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he, he's a, a New Japan fanatic. I, I have to ask, as a wrestling fan, how healthy is the industry right now, even with the pandemic, knowing that there's so many different alternates to WWE right now to watch? As a wrestling fan and as someone who works in the media for wrestling or you know is involved with the YouTube show, how amazing is it of a time it is right now to have so many choices? I've been saying this since last year, that this is the best time to be a wrestling fan. And also the same best time to be a wrestler. I mean, obviously right now it's kind of hurting, you know, to be a wrestler on the indie level, but to be a wrestling fan right now and have an option to watch wrestling literally every single weekday of the week. Uh, and then of course you've got the network and YouTube. You can watch, like you, you guys and I could be talking about a match that happened in 1994 right now some obscure match and then we can just, oh yeah, there it is on YouTube. That never happened. That did not exist before. And I think that not only do we have options right now with what we want to watch live, we have options with literally anything we ever want to watch. And there was a, my, my, one of my favorite indie matches of all time, I was there and this is so obscure. It was Showtime Eric Young and Danger Boy Derek Wilde in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And it's funny because the first time I met Eric Young, I said, you have my favorite indie match of all time. He goes, oh yeah, the one with Derek Wilde, the ladder match. I'm like, you've wrestled a thousand indie matches and you knew exactly which one I was talking about. And that match happened in like 1998. And there's clips of it on YouTube. 
And that, that's, that's what I love about what's going on in the world right now. And yes, it's a tough time because of what's going on with the pandemic. And I think wrestling of all the, the sports or entertainment is hurting the most because the crowd is such a big part of the show. The crowd is, the crowd is a character. And we see that all the time. The crowd is able to make people or break people. And I, I just, I'm so hungry for when a crowd can come back and start to give those reactions that we're used to because watching wrestling with no crowd, Shane Helms actually said this and he couldn't be more right. It's kind of like watching comedy with no audience. Like, sure, the jokes are still funny, but without hearing other people laugh, you go, hmm, is that funny, you know? especially like me personally, I don't know about everybody else, but I love watching wrestling with my friends, you know, like we will sit there we'll, we'll pop, you know, like I, I think I popped yesterday uh, at something that happened in AEW and, that, and everybody's like, Oh man, you were waiting for that. And it's like, you're all excited and you get each yeah. other excited too. Yeah. It, it, it's symbiotic. The, the, the crowd with, uh, with the wrestlers, it, it's a, such a major part, but uh, at least like I was telling Randy, at least new Japan has a, a crowd, you know, they, they've done well with the pandemic over there. So that gives me hope that eventually we'll get everything under control here and we'll have the same yeah. results. It's, it, I mean, I think fingers crossed that maybe there can be some fans at WrestleMania. Like, I, I, is that the, I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the benchmark is right now. I don't know where the finish line is. So yeah. I think that's the frustrating part with this whole entire thing is nobody knows sure. where the finish line is. Uh, I have to ask, cause I know you have a, a, a working relationship with AEW what have you thought of their product? Because again, they're this—they're on the next to WWE. They're the next one on a national TV level. T TNT is still a major network. What do you think of their product? And what do you think of the job the announcers are doing? Because I know that originally you were slated to be part of that. Was that correct? Yeah, I mean, I was on the first episode. Yeah, I was on the first episode of Dynamite. But I think AEW has done a tremendous job of pivoting during this really strange time that we're living in right now. The fact that AEW has had more shows in the COVID era than they've had shows in the pre-COVID era really speaks to their ability to find a way to make this thing work. And AEW was leading the way in their camera positioning. They were leading the way with putting fans or wrestlers ringside. Mm -hmm. And WWE just kind of went, oh, that, that's actually a pretty good idea. Because if you watch the first episode of NXT, they were going... All the lights were on the empty seats in the audience. They were basically going, hey, look, everybody, no one's here. <laughs> and then you change channels and go over to AEW and they go, no, 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 we're going to point the camera at what's important, which is the ring and the entranceway. And I think that it completely shifted what your focus was. You went, oh, yeah, I guess there aren't any fans here, but yeah, I'm not really concerned because I'm looking at what's going on in the ring. And, if, you know, a week later, then WWE went, hmm, we should probably start doing that too. So <laughs> AEW has been really innovative with doing this. But, you know, my hat's off to WWE for, number one, pulling off WrestleMania. I mean, they, they pulled that off with like two weeks notice. They had 14 months of planning and going into Raymond James Stadium. I was planning to be there. So were, you know, tens of thousands of other fans. And then at the last second plug got pulled on it and they had to pivot and figure everything else, everything out. So WrestleMania ended up being, you know, that two night, I thought very entertaining event. The Thunderdome has been the best of a bad case scenario that we've had here with the pandemic. Like they've found a way to make this work. So they're, they're, they're figuring it out. I I'm hopeful that we can get to what new Japan is doing right now, because that's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. We're like, 
they've figured things out on the other side of the world. Hopefully we can figure it out here. There's one thing I wanted to touch on before we let you go, uh, because I know we're running out of time here, but you did the talk in Shopamania, and I, I would be I would, <laughs> if I didn't bring that up. We just one had, of, yeah, we one just of the had, best segments. We just had we just had all those guys on. We just had yeah, Gallows, Anderson, week. and Romaro. And yeah, that was fun. I, I can't be, I can't believe they invited <laughs> me to be part of that. Like I honestly can't believe it. It was so crazy. Um, and that was like a kind of like a secret project too. Like we did this here in LA. And I got there, I had no idea who was going to be there. And I walk in, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's Taya and JTG and there's Chavo and there's Sin Bodhi and wow. And then I start to look at the, the script for the thing. I'm like, this is going to be ridiculously <laughs> awesome. And that's exactly what it was. And I, I'd, I'm hopeful that we can make a top, Talk and Shop of Mania 3 followed by four, five, six. Like just, this is so entertaining and I have to give so much credit to Gallows and Anderson and Rocky Romero for, I don't know, having the faith in themselves that they could pull this off because this just started as like the germ of an idea and they went, okay, let's do it. They had no idea where they were going to air this thing and they figured out a way to do it. And man, they're, they're like trailblazers for this new era of wrestler slash entrepreneurs and they're, they're crushing it. It really are. I, I've already watched it twice. <laughs> it came oh, I'm so that. sorry. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm like watching it and going, what in the hell am I watching? And I can't stop. It's like a it's trailer. Brilliant. It's brilliant. It's great. I'll, t- I'll tell you this story. Then I have one more question. Then we'll let you go. I was telling Gallows, Anderson, and, and Rocky before we went on. That my, my fiance doesn't watch a lot of wrestling. And she goes, what are you watching? And I was watching the first talk shop. Mm-hmm. Mania, and the first thing she sees is it's dra- dragging a midget up the hill. She goes, this is professional wrestling. And I, <laughs> I hear Gallows yell, put her on this, put her on the call. I want to apologize to her. <laughs> so with, with, so with that being said, but my last question for you is, can you give me your Mount Rushmore professional wrestling? Yeah, sure. I, 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 this took me a long time to figure out, but it was an interview I did with Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan that kind of like got the wheels turning. Cause I said, if Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan aren't, I, I feel like they, they should be on everybody's Mount Rushmore. Maybe they aren't, but they're certainly on mine. So Ric Flair, Hogan, and then from there, it's tough. And I think that this all depends on the era that you grew up watching wrestling. So I, I go, okay, well, I got to put Austin on there because Austin's one of the main reasons I started watching in the Attitude Era. And he's one of the biggest stars of all time. Then I'm like, well, then I guess I got to, I mean, do I put Hogan on there? So I'm like, I mean, Hogan's, you know, the biggest star in wrestling. Oh, I already put all these stars. Hogan, Hogan Flair. Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then it's like, well, who's the last spot going to go to? And there's so many people it could go to. But for me, Rock is a huge, you know, I'm a huge Rock fan. And he was so influential for my life and so influential for wrestling. But Rock only had like a seven-year wrestling career. And it's crazy to think he accomplished everything he accomplished in such a short period of time. So the last spot for me goes to The Undertaker, who's, you know, been around forever. He's so many people's favorite wrestlers. So it's... Hogan, Flair, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Undertaker. That's that's my Mount Rushmore. That's one I can live with. And then, you know, I know I know everybody's like, well, what about Brad Hart? You're from Canada. What about HBK? Yes. What about Bruno? Yeah, they're all great. There's only room for four. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> if, if I had to give you my four, it's Sean, 
just because he gives you five-star matches. Taker for longevity. Austin because he changed the tune of wrestling at that time. And everyone gets a little weird with me when I say this, but when I give my explanation, I understand I put Foley in there. Because, oh, wow. And the reason why I put Foley in there is when you look at a guy like Foley who was able to go work with Undertaker and bring a different side of the Undertaker out, he was able to make Shawn Michaels first run as champion. People started getting down on Shawn a little bit. But he was a character that made Shawn dig deep to try and beat him during that mind games match. And they was able to do the same thing with Triple H and Randy Orton. Foley had a way of bringing, making you dig deep because he had that madman type of character. Like you're going to have to kill him to beat him. And, yeah. and Foley yeah. was a special guy. So I always put him and I, you know, who needed to fight Foley, but he at that time when he came back to WWE, he was just, he was, he, he couldn't wrestle anymore. A guy like the Miz fighting Foley mm. would have made it, it would have, Gotten the fans respect a lot more because the Miz would have had to dig down to take out Foley. That's that, true. Yeah, that's Same interesting. And, and Foley was the first champion that didn't really look like a wrestler. Like he kind of ushered in this era of these, you know, yeah. some some of the champions we have now. Like you don't need to be a six foot three, two hundred and forty pound bodybuilder to be a champion. Yeah. And who do you got, real quick? Who's your Who's your four? This is a tough one, man. I'm going to go with my personal favorites because uh, I'm a little guy, so I'm going to stick with the with the smaller wrestlers. Uh, I got Sean as, as my top one because I used to uh, wrestle my pet monster thinking I was Sean. I, I thought I was the man. Uh, Bret Hart. Uh, God, the other two. I would have to say uh, Austin and Undertaker as well, yeah. How, but, how could you not have Hogan in there? I, I was never a big Hogan fan, believe yeah, it or not. It, <laughs> wrestling is the way it is because Hogan was it, the way it, he was. Yeah, well, it, I, it's crazy. I, I, I loved I, his movie. Uh, what was it? No Holes Barred as a kid. I loved it. But well, I was never a huge fan of Hogan. I liked the, the smaller wrestlers. <laughs> I, was a, I was a Warrior fan growing up. So it, was like, it felt like you either had to pick Hogan or Warrior. And when I also met Hogan at a book signing for his book, he just rubbed me the wrong way, the way he was at that, at that time. You know, I mean, yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like, so when you, like you just said, sometimes you don't want to meet those guys yeah. you looked up to. I still had a lot of respect for Hogan. When I met him, he was just very dismissive about some of the things where the fans were because he had the cameras on him because the WWE was filming the book signing. So it was just felt like he was very dismissive. And I, I was like, you know what? Everybody just waited five and a half hours, six hours online to meet yeah. you. All they want is to have that special moment with you. And you're sort of taking that away. I love Hulk, but at the same time, like we all popped for Hogan Rock at WrestleMania 18. Yeah, and we all did. But I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Canada, of course. Yeah. Um, real Chris, quick, Chris, can we ask you to plug uh, plug everything you got going on? Let's do it. This is plug time. Well, thanks again for having me on, guys, and congrats to you on building the show. I really appreciate it. So I'm the Chris Thank Van Vliet you. Show. Thank you. For Wherever being. you're listening to this podcast, you can find my podcast, and I'm at Chris Van Vliet on all social media. So uh, give me a follow, say hi, and I can say hi back to you. Uh, listen, we we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Hang in one second. Again, Chris Van Vliet uh, here on the cut with M and Randy. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much, man.